When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Craig, and welcome to another episode of Football Kit Memories, the football podcast that gets under the shirt. Today, I meet the deputy editor of When Saturday Comes, Mr. Tom Hogan. During our chat, we talked about the magazine that's run for 35 years, its iconic look and feel, and the ways in which it's remained true to its roots as a very much for the fans, by the fans style publication. Later, I asked Tom to pick three of his favourite football shirts and tell me a little bit about what they mean to him. We find out what Salvador Dali and an English sleeping giant have in common, what trips to Booth and Crescent were like in the 90s, and we finish a little further afield in Japan. Remember, you can listen to this and other episodes of Football Kit Memories on all major audio platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please do like, follow, share, but above all, please do enjoy the podcast. So today on the podcast, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the deputy editor of When Saturday Comes magazine. It's Tom Hawking. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much, mate. Really excited to talk to you about uh, When Saturday Comes. I'm a a long-term reader. Ah, good. That's always always nice to hear. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, I'm excited to be here. It's uh, it's always fun to talk about football kits. Fantastic. So, look, you guys very humbly brand yourselves as the half-decent football magazine but you've been around since 1986. What do you think the key to the longevity has been? Yeah, I mean, um, sort of, yeah, so the magazine launched it in 1986, a year before I was born. So um, it's been edited. It it was originally founded by um, the current editor, Andy Lyons, and and his his co-founder and the original editor, Mike Tisher, and they, they met in a record store and talked a lot about football. And it was at a time when... Uh, football really wasn't it's hard to imagine now but football really wasn't talked about a lot in the mainstream media certainly not um, not fan culture elements fans were pretty much seen as as hooligans or football was sort of pushed to the side and um, they launched it because they they were having these conversations in the record shop um, about football and and they decided some of it might be nice written down and there was a real sort of DIY fanzine movement um, around music at the time Um, and, and they launched it and it, it sort of, it grew from there. I guess the key to longevity sort of 35 years later is, is that it stayed consistent. And obviously it, it, it has developed, you know, it's got color, it's no longer just uh, sort of hand photocopied and stapled, you know, we, we have moved into the 21st century in, yeah. in, that, in that respect, but um, it stayed sort of true to the, the reasons it was, it, it began in, in 1986, which is, to give um, to give a voice to sort of fans and to fan issues and to to really look at football in general um, and that like I, I, it was founded sort of with the principle that there's there's more that unites fans than divides them and while rivalries are a huge part of football yeah. ultimately we just all really enjoy going to football matches um, and I think that that has stayed the same and and 
largely fans are ignored and they were ignored in a very different way in in the late 1980s than they they are now um you know with with the various various premier league shenanigans and and european super leagues stuff that that goes on you know the the last people to be thought of are the fans and you know that if anything has stayed consistent in football throughout all throughout all the time and so so sort of wsc has stayed true to its roots of, of talking about um football in a way that it, it really doesn't matter whether you're going to watch uh you know Manchester United and Liverpool and Man City or you're going to watch you know Macclesfield or you're going to watch Hallam FC my my local non-league team or anyone like that you know the experiences are all all shared and, and very similar um in terms of you know fan culture and routines um bits fans enjoy different parts of it for some people it's about routine and going with family some people it's about meeting up with friends yeah. uh, some people it's about just a purely sort of um individual pursuit you know like it's sort of you get individual ground hoppers going around it, it's very different but the, the whole thing that unites us is, is that act of going to matches we, yeah. we kind of we always say that sort of a typical WSC reader and it's not the case for everyone but a typical WSC reader goes to matches Mm -hmm. and I know that sounds that sounds quite odd because obviously it's football you want to go to matches but I think a lot of that that there are a lot of football fans out there who maybe don't go to football matches as as particularly regularly Uh, but I think if you if you do you understand you see the same things no matter what level you're going to watch you know you could yeah. you could go to watch a premier league game or, or a non-league game and you you do see the same routine the same characters um so so sort of wsc has always always served tried to serve everyone in in that respect um in terms of sort of being about match going um yeah yeah and and as i say stay consistent on on issues such as as ticket prices and fan fans rights um and and that fans really hold the key to the game yeah. not not necessarily sort of chairman or even players you know they're all they're, they're all um transient they all they all move on whereas fan fans fan bases really don't so 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 yeah that's i'd say where where it's sort of the longevity comes from yeah do you know, you mentioned the fan stuff. One of the things I really like about the magazine is the way it kind of captures that experience, like you say, especially through its kind of photos element as well that you use in the magazine. And obviously you run separate social accounts that show those amazing images captured at matches. Obviously we haven't had that for a long time as such, but, um, you know, just coming back off of COVID and fans are back. I always think that there's something really special about those photos that you guys do share in terms of like, you can smell the grass and you can smell the chips and the burgers and stuff like that. There's a real kind of, you know, a feeling of fandom, like you say. Yeah, I think that's right. And that's, um, you know, that I, I, w- I wouldn't take take credit for that. that. That is definitely down to sort of the, we've got a wonderful team of photographer, freelance photographers um, that are, are, are ridiculously talented at, at sort of capturing that. So sort of the, the, main, the main three would be Colin McPherson, Simon Gill and, and Paul Thompson, who are right. all located sort of at various parts of the country. So it gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of which games to cover. Right. And then we do also have some some other photographers we work with. David Balcom is one who, who we use occasionally as well, who, who's very good. And they have this real, real knack of picking out not 
necessarily the action, but the the sort of the action is goes on in the background to someone pouring salt on too much salt on chips or you know um seagulls coming in to, to pick off the sort of the the remnants of, of the of the pies that have been discarded um and sort of really capture the emo you know the the emotion on people's faces yeah. during a football match is something that most fans don't really get to see because you're you're concentrating on the game yeah. so I always think it's really they've got a real talent that our photographers have of spinning those cameras around where, you know, where everyone else is focused in on, on the action on the pitch, they, they turn it around and, and really show the emotion of what, what it's like watching it. Um, and not, not just for, for fans also, you know, you, you get different emotions of officials um, up in this, you know, up in the director's box, particularly non-league, you, you know, um, there's some real sort of real club people who, who dedicate their lives at non-league to, to helping this club and and then yeah. have to go through the same emotions that fans go through watching watching the watching their teams win or or, or quite often lose um, and you know and that that is some of some of the best things um, about working at WSC is sort of the um, the part of the production of the magazine where those images come in from from Colin and Paul and Simon and getting to flick through them and then our our, our designers um, obviously get a get a lovely job of, of choosing which ones go in and it's very difficult sometimes and that's that's sort of why we launched we've got um photos.wsc.co.uk which is sort of um a dedicated uh archive of, of our photography um from from you know the past I don't, I don't quite know how far it goes back maybe 15 years maybe maybe 20 wow. um and it, it's great and we we do sell prints as well of, of some of the photos that we're allowed to sell um obviously licensing issues notwithstanding yeah, yeah. for for football league and premier league games but um it really is um a really special part of the magazine and sort of using those sort of independent photographers it, it, it's really important to us it, it would be very easy to just get agency pictures and you know sometimes we do have to use agency pictures if we if we can't get a photographer in particularly during covid there's yeah. limited amounts of space for photography um for photographers to get into ground so sometimes we do have to use agency pictures but even then we're looking for something that's just slightly different we don't necessarily want um want the the same uh, goal celebration that, that every other outlet is using really as yeah. good as that photo might be we just want something a bit different um, that's why we love it really that's why we love love doing the job that we do because um we get to, we get to do something a little bit different yeah that's really important i think like the magazine has kind of retained as well this really i'd say like idiosyncratic look as well i don't know whether that's because it was kind of born out of the fanzine movement but things like your illustrations and often sometimes like the images you use of players are very kind of cut and paste as well and it's kind of retained that look and feel for a long time hasn't it yeah I mean I think that that's that's sort of a conscious decision you know there's all, all the technology is is available to us that is available to to you know the the, the major newspapers and, and glossy maybe glossier magazines but we don't particularly we're not particularly interested in it you know this is at its heart it still is a, a, a fanzine um we say on the front you know it's a half decent football magazine um 
and we we sort of they had to do that to get into WH Smiths. WH Smiths originally, when they were talking about first going into go on sale, yeah. WH Smiths wanted something that said football on the front because okay. they thought when Saturday comes wouldn't mean anything. So um, grudgingly, Andy and and Mike decided to yeah go with the half decent football magazine <laughs> <laughs> on the cover. But at, at its heart, you know, it, it remains a, a fanzine. Um, and sort of a platform for, of course, lots of lots of journalists have, have written for us and gone on to to bigger things. But it's also we've got we've got a lot of writers that have just aren't, are still amateur writers and just yeah. um, wonderful writers. But it's not their main job, and and that's fine too. And they can all sit next to each other on a page. Um, yeah, yeah. And we would we would never particularly want the the design to go too glossy obviously we, we went full color a long time ago and that was quite a big deal but um yeah, yeah, at yeah. the time um <laughs> but yeah we you know we we've worked with illustrators of um tim bradford has been illustrating for a very long time for us um dave robinson who who did the euro 2020 wall chart and has done every wall chart i think back to 1990 six maybe or maybe 98 I might be getting that wrong um you know and he's he's wonderful and he's you know he still sends in he still does it it's all done by hand and um you know he sends in the different layers by hand uh scans them in um having having done it it's not it's not all done on the computer and I think that's really important um I I, I also think it's important that we remain a printed magazine we've never had much interest in going did uh, you know sometimes sometimes it, it it's a challenging marketplace, obviously. Um, and the WSC has stood the test of time mainly because of its loyal subscribers that have yeah. have stuck with us through sort of good sales periods and bad sales periods. Um, we've always had that wonderful subscription base to to rely on. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, they they like it and they've they've subscribed for such a long time because it sort of it kind of it has evolved, but it hasn't really changed at its heart, and and that is. Yeah, that that's sort of we we'd never want to move away from that by by going sort of digital only or anything like that. Yeah, there, there's something I think there's something there's something so so nice, and it's particularly uh, come to the fore during lockdown. Actually, is that it, it it's there's something special about sitting back and reading a printed magazine, or you know, going to the pub or a coffee shop or wherever you want to, and and just sitting in the corner and, and reading a magazine with a drink, um, yeah. or just finding some quiet time at home or you know on public transport it's very different to sort of constantly scrolling news if you're if you're looking at sort of twitter and things like that so yeah, yeah. It's, it's very much in the same way that um vinyl has has become sort of it, it disappeared it seemed to have been overtaken and it's come back and it's it's maybe um not as prevalent as it used to be but it's definitely still got a market out there and is um for real collectors and people who who just want to sort of experience something physical with a bit of and spend a bit of time they're willing to spend a bit of their time doing that and I think that's the same with magazines as well people are perhaps a bit pickier about you know how many they, they won't subscribe to sort of 10 20 magazines anymore which perhaps they would used to yeah. um they'll pick one or two but though you know the, the important thing is if if you stay consistent we we remain one of those one or two <laughs> um yeah well, it's that indulgent moment, isn't it? Like, you know, putting on a record and just not having to skip the tracks. You can kind of engage with it in a different way. And a magazine, I think, is very much the same same kind of format. And as you say, scrolling through Twitter endlessly, uh, re- rereading the same kind of retweeted articles, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly that. It's, it's sort of, it's a different pace of life. And that that is, yeah. um, that, that is needed, I think, sometimes. And, and thankfully, we're, 
we're still out there um available for people to sort of take that time really and yeah so so yeah it's 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 lovely to to keep making it and um uh, yeah and to to sort of as as you say we've we've been working with with the same illustrators and the sort of photographers for a long time and we're always interested in new people as well but um yeah we, we never want to change the feel too much so, so print remains really key to the kind of business model and the brand but you are we have kind of diversified a little bit right so there are live events that you're doing and um, there's been a couple so far right yeah so um obviously the sort of the print magazine remains it, it central to everything we do is always the the most important thing um you know it's always we've got to get that next magazine out um but obviously we're not we're not completely stuck in the past you know we're aware that there are are other mediums um for people to to follow us on so we um sort of just over a year ago now maybe late november 2019 i think it was we um we launched a podcast um which we uh which is sort of uh, our editor andy um and harry pearson one of our a, a writer who um started out writing for for us went on to write for the guardian and he, he writes a lot of um for a lot of travel magazines and he, he now has a column with us as well okay. um and uh it's hosted by daniel gray who's another another brilliant writer yeah um harry and dan are both middlesbrough fans so there's a, there's a bit right. of middlesbrough chat on there but they try to keep it to a minimum um yeah, yeah so we launched that we launched that uh uh, so yeah late 2019 um which is going really well and and we've since sort of since lockdown happened we've we started to do some live events yeah. um so we did one um specifically about football grounds with simon inglis uh who's sort of um i'm, I'm sure sure your listeners will know that he's sort of uh, a key guy uh, in, in in the sort of football football stadiums uh, world uh, him and also mike bailey who's just released a book about stadiums and, and our own fion thomas who's um, the assistant editor of wsc and also has a phd in football stadiums so wow. uh, so there you go so wow. that, that was the first one and then the second one we did a, a euros event with um with Josh Widdicombe, uh, Ellis James, and Sean McGuigan. So, nice. which, you know, wanted to represent all the home nations yeah. uh, with that one. Um, so that's a bit of a departure, but again, you know, some, someone like Josh Widdicombe obviously gone on to be a big comedian, but did did work at WSC uh, sort of early in his career before he decided to be a comedian. Really? Um, and he's a Plymouth Argyle fan. So, and he obviously does a podcast uh, called Quickly Kevin. Yes. And so he's, he's sort of a, a good fit. So we, we started doing those events on, on zoom partly because we 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 wanted to do them originally we were we were planning to do live events in person and we might still do that at some point we we have to sort of see how restrictions go and and if the interest remains but zoom kind of made it easier because we're obviously we've got readers all over the country and all around the world so um zoom made it easier to to be able to access them all um at once and and give them all an opportunity um and we wanted to give something extra back to the people who joined us on Patreon as well. We've got a supporters club on Patreon, which is a chance for people to um, sort of some people. Most most of the people on there are subscribers to the magazine already, and it's a chance for them right. to sort of give something a bit extra to to us to sort of keep the magazine going. And also, they get extra in terms of extra podcast episodes and really? either free or discounted live events, depending on depending on the tier that they're they're members of. So so yeah, there's there's a lot going on really, and but sort of at the core of it is the is the physical magazine and that will always be our sort of number one priority um 
yeah. So how long have you been with the magazine, Tom? Uh, so coming up to 10 years, actually, which is it's sort of, it's crazy to, crazy to think about. So I, um, I did a, a master's in magazine journalism at Sheffield Uni um, and did a bit of work experience um, as part of that. And one of them was sort of two weeks at, at WSC, which I'd been reading for uh, a few years um, and was also happened to be on sale in the um, in the university shop, the, the student union shop, um, yeah. which was great. Um, so, so I was really interested in it, uh, got a couple of weeks of work experience. And, and while I was there, it was mentioned that the um, the news editor at the time um, called Ed was was moving to New York and leaving. And it's, it's a very small company. You know, there's only four of us full time right. um, furlough, notwithstanding <laughs> current <laughs> circumstances, notwithstanding. But um, there's four full time members of staff. Um, so I, I figured there'd be sort of an entry level job coming up in a few months and sort of kept my eye on it. And there was. And so I joined as uh, I, I thankfully got the job as publishing assistant, which is um, the glamorous world of sort of uh, dealing with subscription queries, a lot of changes of address, a lot of T-shirt right. folding because we sort of sell T-shirts. Um, <laughs> one of my first jobs, I'm pretty sure, was folding up uh, stuff your Super League T-shirt, so it's, which we've now had to reprint for the fourth time because <laughs> it just keeps coming back. <laughs> so, so yeah, that that was sort of my my entry into the world. Really, a, a, a world of sort of sports journalism was was folding T-shirts for WSC and. I, I absolutely loved it and it's um I've never really wanted to leave since because right. why would you because it's um you know I, I've moved up I was um I was moved up to news editor and then they changed the title to deputy editor um a while ago and um yeah it's just it, it doesn't really matter what your title is at WSC either like um like we all we all sort of do the same jobs you know like every, right. everyone at the magazine has folded t-shirts for, for for hours on end and yeah. you know folded renewal letters and sent them out and at christmas and um you know like busy times at christmas we've all had to pack post and right. um, that is just how it is running running a small business which is is essentially what we do we, you know as i say there's only there's only four of us um, full time, and then a couple of freelance designers come in for the busy time of, of sort of magazine production time. Um, yeah. But you're always juggling the, we, you know, we we would never want to sort of outsource subscriptions or anything like that because we like talking to our readers. We like we like that they can call up and and change their address or email, and they, you know they they talk to us. They don't, you know, one of the four of us, there, there really isn't that many options for them to talk to. So, um, yeah, we, we really like that small thing. It's a small sort of way of, of running. Um, and I, yeah, I, I just love it. So you maintain that kind of startup mentality then, despite the popularity and the success, it's still the same kind of core people. That's really interesting. Yeah, as I say, like the editor is still Andy Lyons, who who has been Mike Mike Tisher was the original editor, though Andy was was working on it as well. Andy was the co-founder, and Mike moved to Australia, and Andy took over and has been the editor ever since. Um, you know, and that core of sort of that sort of DIY um, independent. We you know we remain independent. We're not we don't we don't answer to sort of big publishing houses which has its advantages which means we can sort of take decisions like um none of us felt comfort like comfortable taking gambling advertising anymore okay. so we we just 
stopped taking gambling advertising we didn't have to go through executives or anything like that you know we had to sort of hire up the food chain of, of a magazine company we we just said well we don't feel comfortable taking them anymore we don't feel we can comment on gambling's prevalence in in football right. um while also taking gambling ads so we stopped and obviously we have to weigh up the financial implications of something like that yeah. um but ultimately we just decided it was the right thing to do and, and we could so that's that's an advantage of being an independent magazine disadvantage obviously is everything costs a bit more because you're not getting bulk <laughs> discounts on paper or anything like that but you know it is what it is and we're mostly funded by our readers these days there's very little advertising in the magazine so right. we sort of live out, live or die by um our readership and if if that ever deserts us we'll we'll stop and but, if, but they haven't so far um, yeah, and so yeah. we're going to keep going and that, that that's kind of the attitude really um, Amazing. yeah Amazing. so before we do talk a bit more about your um, your relationship with football tom through your football shirt choices yeah. i wanted to ask you about it's probably my favorite ever article from the magazine and it, yeah, it resurfaces every so often on twitter and it's nice to nice to read it again but it is a book review of Tim Lovejoy's autobiography and the title of the article is called No Love and No Joy and it's particularly scathing and I just wanted to ask you obviously that kind of pops up now and again has there ever been any like has he ever got in touch about it has he ever have you ever spoke to him about it or has there ever been any fallout about it um no so we uh, so the, that article was was written by Taylor Parks who um He's a, he's a wonderful writer about about football and about music and culture. Um, he sort of a, there, there was a lot of crossover in the early days of sort of football magazines and, and fanzines and um, with music. Um, and sort of Taylor was sort of came from the melody maker okay. um, sort of type of a type of writer. Um, and yeah, I, I mean Tim Lovejoy has blocked us on Twitter, which I, we only discovered fairly recently, actually, because we don't we don't check his Twitter account particularly often. Yeah. Um, we we found it when someone else uh, someone else tagged him after again the article had resurfaced on Twitter because yeah. that's that's just what it does. Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, supposedly we we spoke to we did um, last year we had our four hundredth issue and we did a sort of special podcast around that. Um, sort of two episodes talking to to writers and one of them was Taylor yeah. um, sort of um, obviously we 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 asked him about sort of his his feelings towards that review and obviously we you know we we find it quite funny we bring it back up on, on world book day and stuff like that but he he feels sort of it was almost too easy he, he sort of says in the podcast it was almost too easy and he, he feels it's not his best piece of writing although it's perhaps <laughs> his best known piece of writing um as is often the case and it's sort of one of those things someone on um uh, we we used we have a sort of a, a message board called One Touch Football, which is from sort of very early days of, of football of sort of football online, um, and someone mentioned on on there that it, the the Lovejoy review feels kind of like um, a, a sort of a classic rock band who have constantly being asked to play the same song the same sort of hit despite their the rest of their sort of repertoire actually also being quite good it's sort of the one thing that they're really known for yeah um, and that, that's fine we, yeah, as I say we don't mind it we, we it gets a bit of publicity around World Book Day and, and stuff and it always resurfaces but um like no no kickback he just you know we we live in different worlds um yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. fine we're happy in an, in our world um and I'm sure he's happy in his and um, so yeah, of course. You know, like I it's 
as I say, he's blocked us on Twitter, which I I, I totally understand because uh, it must be annoying seeing constantly seeing a, a bad review of your book. But um, yeah. you know, he shouldn't write the book. But that's that's that bad, <laughs> should he? <laughs> really? Um, so if if, know, if yeah. when Saturday comes is the Rolling Stones, that article is you'll give me shelter then, basically. That's yeah, what, that that yeah. sort of thing. I think it's. Um, yeah, it, it, I, we don't mind it. Obviously, it's nice. Um, there's, it's quite interesting, actually, that article. A lot of people don't know this. So when it first appeared in the magazine, it was uh, the illustration was by David Squires, yeah, um, who is, yeah, who who has now gone on to sort of do cartoons for the Guardian and things like that. Um, yeah. He again, he was he was someone who I don't know if we were his first illustrated commission, um, but but we were quite early in his career. Um, so, so that's that's always nice. And there, there's an accompanying article um, which you can see our entire sort of back catalogue is on um, on in our on our archive, um, sort of the digital versions of them. Mm. Um, and there's a really good accompanying article uh, by uh, Cameron Carter, I think it is about about I can't remember what the uh, I think it might be James Corden show or something like that. Taylor also did a, a good takedown of James Corden's World Cup show, uh, but Cameron. Yeah. Cameron mentions uh, it, it, there's another there was another there was another sort of TV show around at the same time as Lovejoy's book was around that, that right. sort of similar vibes and yeah it's, it's always good it's always interesting to look back because no no one remembers those those sort of snippets they just remember the the sort of lines I hope it makes you sick and and things like that which are, <laughs> are great and you know uh, it it continues to go viral and and that's great good for good for everyone who's still enjoying it it's nice to know people still enjoy reading it. Would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Right, mate. Let's let's talk about some football shirts. Um, the first question I ask everybody on the podcast is, "What do football shirts mean to you?" Well, I guess I guess to me, they each each shirt means something slightly different. But um, 
I, I don't tend to wear them to matches anymore. Um, I tend to wear them, obviously, when, when I'm playing football, sort of five-a-side or something like that, it's very much sort of stopped wearing them to matches when I got to my teenage years, really, I think. Um, I tend to wear them around the house or to the shops or, or something like that these days. Um, and I think now, for me, they're, they're quite a nostalgic thing. I, I'm much more interested in sort of shirts that I, I had as a, a kid and loved and maybe obviously I can't wear the same shirt because it's, it's much too small for me these days yeah. but um sort of re, re trying to rebuy those on, on eBay um is always a lot of fun so in, in that respect it's quite a nostalgic thing um and, and I think that'll be the the same for for kids growing up now you know that like they they will love the kits that they wore as a kid um yeah. I, I might not necessarily like design although there are some some better kit designs i think we went through a bit of a malaise of uh sort of templated kits and yeah yeah i think some of the bigger companies are are now realizing that while that might be cheaper to produce it, it's perhaps not the most striking especially in a social media world where you can go you, you know you can get a lot of attention for doing something a bit different yeah. um but yeah to me it, it's about uh, as we'll come on to with my, my choices, sort of the shirt, the team I support wasn't necessarily um, worn by a lot of people where I lived. So I was always a bit of the odd one out, um, so which was always interesting. So so I, so I support Sheffield Wednesday, um, but I grew up in, I, I, I was born in Sheffield, but I, I moved to York when I was very little. Oh, okay. um, and I, as I sort of, I'll come on to discuss like the, while well, Wednesday were a big club in the, in the early 90s, they really weren't sort of as widely sort of supported as, as you know, you, even, you know, Liverpool, Leeds, Man United back in, back in York. That was, that was who yeah. everyone else supported. So I, I, I tended to be the only one at, at sort of football practice in when I was, you know, under 10s or whatever, wearing a Sheffield Wednesday shirt. And it would always yeah. be, it would be quite exciting to see someone else or meet someone else who, who sort of knew who they were properly and, and supported them or followed them, despite us actually being quite good at that point. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, and then yeah, it's sort of to me. It's so so to me, it's quite an odd thing, sort of wearing a football shirt. I'm not used to. I, I live back in Sheffield now, and I'm not used to seeing so many um, Sheffield Wednesday shirts because I I grew up in York and then we went to Sheffield for uni and then moved down to London for for sort of eight eight years I, I lived there and obviously you don't see that many Wednesday shirts down there so it's always quite a thrill when you see see a shirt that you know you you can you can bond with and you you know you know that you can you can talk to that person about about football yeah. um uh, so that's always nice and sort of I guess it also brings a lot of nostalgia in terms of like shirt spotting when you're on holiday um sort of counting up always used to do a thing where I tried to we we used to go to holiday in Cornwall a lot when I was younger uh, always used to do a thing of trying to see you know hopefully you'd see more Sheffield Wednesday shirts than you'd see Sheffield United or something <laughs> like that and I sort of always had a tally going in my head so so it's that kind of instant recognition yeah and I can't I can't help but sort of point out now like you know whenever you go past you sort of try and work out what the shirt is even if you can only see you know they've got their someone's got a jacket slightly open and you can't quite see the badge so you're trying to work it out from the colors but yeah. it's that instant recognizability I think of a of a shirt and sort of the excitement and the the knowledge that perhaps they share your views on on football yeah 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 of course so mate you mentioned Wednesday Wednesday is your first choice it's the Sheffield Wednesday home shirt 
between 2000 and 2001 by Puma? Uh, yeah, so I, I think it's always it's always interesting, isn't it? Because kits tend to be seen as, as sort of classic shirts if they've accompanied sort of a successful period in the club's history. Yeah, so it's sort of it would have been very it would have been very easy for me to go for like the the early '90s Wednesday shirts, uh, you know, made by Umbro or even Puma in Puma took over from Umbro in sort of 90, 93, 94, I think. Okay, not a year after we got to and lost both cup finals. Um, yes. So they're sort of seen as the the classic Sheffield Wednesday shirts, um, and I think this this shirt from 2000 2001 possibly would be a cult classic, bit of a cult classic. But it was worn by an absolutely terrible bunch of players. Um, <laughs> so it was the shirt sort of the season after relegation from the Premier League. Um, right which came as a real shock to me, you know, like I'd grown up in the 90s with sort of Wednesday being really genuinely one of the most exciting teams to watch. And um, certainly up in, you know, up until sort of maybe 97 and, and then the decline started, started properly. Yeah. So it was a real shock to me that we, you know, for us to be relegated, I was too young um, to sort of really understand the relegation in sort of 1990. I was only sort of three years old, so I didn't, didn't understand the, the football right, pyramid right. system, which is disgraceful. My parents should have taught me that much earlier. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was my first sort of experience of Wednesday, really, really difficult period. And it's, it's not been great since then. Um, of course. But sort of they, they came down in, they got relegated in 2000. So this 2000, 2001 shirt, uh, season after relegation, and there was a lot of sort of optimism around the club of that we were going to bounce straight back and it would be really easy. And we'd appointed a new up and coming sort of quite exciting manager in Paul Jewell, who we poached yeah. from Bradford. Um, and we'd managed to retain players like uh, Gerald Sibon, um, you know, who, who we really thought would just just waltz through the, what was Division One at the time, yeah. called Division One at the time. Um, and uh, it's sort of a running joke that Premier League return season tickets were sort of marketed. You know, <laughs> get get your get your season ticket for the Premier League return. And it's constantly a running joke of God, has ever, anyone still got those? I wonder if they'd <laughs> still honour it. Um, you know, 20, 20 years later. Wow. Um, so it was really quite exciting. It was quite an exciting time. A lot of different grounds. Wednesday had been in the Premier League for 10 years and been mid-table for the last few mm. um, or struggling against relegation. So it was, you know, new grounds. It was exciting to play against Sheffield United again. There, there was sort of a lot of optimism going into the season. Um, and Puma released this new kit. And I, I think it's got all the makings of what should be a classic Sheffield Wednesday kit in many ways. So it's got quite broad blue and white stripes. It's, it's got five stripes with a central one being blue, which is always, yeah. I think really important for, for Wednesday shirt. I don't like it when the, when the central stripe is white, I, I prefer it when it's blue. Yeah. Um, and sort of the broad five stripes is very similar to, to sort of the layout that it had um for those classic kits in the early 90s as well uh it also had like a, a really smart black collar uh which i always think looks good i like quite like a collar on a football shirt yeah um it had black shorts and blue socks with black trim which is again it's my preferred sort of it's my preferred wednesday kit really a lot of the some it's when a lot of wednesday fans are split some would like blue shorts um the right. 1994 kit had blue shorts um, which was a lovely kit, but I personally prefer black shorts. And it had really nice yellow piping yeah. um, sort of around the, around the edges. Um, 
And obviously the, the, the big thing about this shirt is it was sort of dominated by this Chopper Chops logo. I love um, it. Sort I love of the, the lolly maker, uh, sweet maker. Um, <laughs> and it was supposedly sort of Wednesday's biggest sponsorship, sponsorship deal that, that, that they'd ever signed. Wow. Probably still is given that we, um, we've only gone downwards since <laughs> from this point really. <laughs> um, so, you know, I can't imagine we've signed a, a bigger one. Um, and like, it's it's sort of it's a very yes it, the Chupa Chops logo is quite flowery, um, but you know it, it's designed by Salvador Dali. I was going to say so. Uh, so uh, like how many other uh, how many other clubs can claim to have like a, a Dali design on their shirts? And <laughs> I did some research because I wrote about this this shirt uh, in WSC. We've got a regular shirt column. Uh, I wrote about it uh, last year sometime. I did some research and I think the answer to that is none. I can't see anyone else who was ever sponsored by Chopper Chops, although if your listeners know of anyone, please let me know. Um, yeah. And he didn't really do much other stuff that would, I imagine, have found its way onto a football shirt. So, yeah, um, yeah like, yes, it's a bit of a controversial design because it's, you know, this flowery logo, but it is it is just this incredible surrealist artist who's, <laughs> who's designed it. Um, so I, th I think if we'd had a good season and we'd bounced straight back, this could have been like a modern day cult favorite, possibly yeah, the best yeah. one since those early nineties ones. Um, but in <laughs> 13 seconds into our first match uh, of the season uh, at Wolves, Kevin Pressman got sent off nice. um, <laughs> and uh, it didn't really get much better. Um, so we won one of our first 12 games, uh, including eight defeats in a row, five nil at home to Wimbledon. Um, we had an absolutely awful season. I, I, you know, it wasn't like it wasn't the return that we'd expected. And we ended up finish, finishing 17th, uh, placed wow. below Barnsley, oh. one above Grimsby, two above Stockport, you know, wow. like it wasn't, it certainly wasn't a classic season. Really, there was only um, the League Cup was the only real highlight of that season. Um, we we beat Sheffield. It was the first time we'd played Sheffield United in a long time. Uh, we beat them uh, in the third round of the League Cup. Uh, and Akuku scored uh, in extra time, wow. I think. So, so yeah, that that was a highlight. And we got to the quarter. We got to the quarterfinal of the League Cup and lost to Birmingham. Right. Um, but really, it was such a bleak season that um, it just instead of instead of it being a classic shirt, it sort of the logo made it made it quite an easy target yeah. so like I, I remember like there's a lot of uh, match reports where the club where Wednesday would take a licking and, and things like that because <laughs> it's just sort of really easy stuff for sort of especially tabloid journalists to, to poke fun at and um, unfortunately uh, Chopper so, uh, apparently translates as suck Right. Uh, in in Spanish, and he's often used as a slang term for for a, a sexual act, uh, which uh, sort of delighted rival fans. And you can imagine <laughs> the fun they had as we sort of slipped down down the leagues. Um, yeah, so sort of two decades on from this sort of Premier League return tickets, a, a, a running joke, and it's it's sort of more likely to be Championship return tickets these days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and we were relegated again uh, in 2003, still wearing, uh, there was still Chubba Chops uh, as the sponsor. Yeah. Uh, but it was, a, a, it was quite another quite nice kit, actually, much thinner stripes by Deodora. Okay. So we'd sort of started to slip down the kit manufacturer's oh. list as well from Puma to Deodora. And we, we went through um, 
various other ones that I can't remember that you know just really aren't aren't classic shows yeah. let me have a yeah you were making just, it yourself for a little while as well weren't you if I remember correctly we still are making it ourselves actually oh, right. well in in theory via a sort of a, a company that our chairman has set up called Elevate um Sounds shady. So where we where we supposedly make our own kits and supposedly that that, that we thought we'll thought that would make it cheaper, but uh, in fact they're the most expensive or they were the most expensive kits in the division. So wow. not <laughs> uh, we're, we're not particularly impressed with Elevate. Let, let's say right. um, Lotto Lotto. So it went uh, Diodora Lotto, and then we had Puma back for a couple of years. Uh, Sondico. And then elevate our own brand. So that's you know we've we sort of as we've declined and sort of become forgotten among the sort of elite of the English football. So we so has our kit manufacturers <laughs> declined. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's you know it's it's one of those. I I if you, purely on shirt basis, I love this shirt. I, I get yeah. that the Chopper Tops logo isn't for anyone, but I I personally really like it and I think it's really interesting and um, unique you know it's not it's not the sort of thing that is, has been repeated as far as i can tell anywhere the chop chops logo sponsorship yeah. so um for me as a purely for a shirt i the only thing i'd change about it would be uh, to have the old classic owl badge um this one has a shield around it yeah, yeah. Uh, which I, I don't like i prefer it when it was just just the owl itself it was very simple and clean um yeah. but other than that i i genuinely love love this shirt on its own it just brings back horrible memories of watching <laughs> really bad players sort of slip down the league um with disappointment you know like uh, we had sort of our, our great hope um sort of in the late 90s was um Richie Humphreys came through in sort of 90, 96, 97, I think it was. And right. he, this season, I think he moved to Cambridge United after not fulfilling his potential. Uh, and you could just see the decline in the club as, um, yeah, as sort of overpaid players underperformed, which is very similar to what just happened in the in the current season, to be honest. <laughs> but the less said about that, the better. I see. Well, you know, football football is cyclical, and the fan base is there. So hopefully, we'll yeah. see them back. In yeah, home. you'd have thought so. I mean, what one thing? This is the longest we've, I think, ever been out of the top flight, and this is the third time in in recent memory that we've been relegated to League One or the equivalent. Yeah, um, third tier. Um, so this is arguably some people would argue who were there that it was it was possibly worse in the 70s but um i think statistically this is our worst period in our history so right. so hopefully hopefully we'll get back at some point I, I don't have confidence it'll be starting next season yeah but there you go it, it happens and i still enjoy going so nice well that's what it's all about mate so let, let's move on to your second choice this is the york city away shirt 92 to 93 by a brand called Cavendish Sports, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> apparently so. Um, so I recently I was clearing out um, my sort of childhood bedroom, or the remnant of my childhood bedroom, because my parents were moving house. Right. And I sort of found all my childhood football shirts, and this this was in it. Um, and as I said earlier, I moved from Sheffield to York when I was I was very young. So I was I was born in nineteen eighty seven. So I was only sort of five or six. Um, when I moved to York um, and this is as far as I can tell if the first York shirt that I owned right um, which because I'm having from all the ones I found when clearing out my childhood bedroom this this was the oldest one I could find um, okay. 
So Sheffield Wednesday were always my main team, having been born in Sheffield. Uh, but when I moved to York, I was so young that they've always been really sort of important to me as well, but right. in a slightly different way. So because I didn't live in Sheffield, I didn't have any Wednesday supporting friends. You know, there was no one no one else at football training wearing a Wednesday shirt um, and I'd yeah. always go to matches I always had a season ticket but I'd, I'd go with my dad and it was very much a sort of father-son thing of we, we, you know on a Saturday we'd we'd go to the match we'd get in the car we'd go to Hillsborough we'd watch the match and we'd come home and it was that that was very much the routine yeah uh, same seats every week friends with the person next to us but I didn't really have anyone at school or anything like that to talk to right about sort of Sheffield Wednesday even though as I say they were they were arguably quite a top club in the in the 90s yeah um and for me York was completely York City were completely the opposite so um when Wednesday were away or we couldn't we weren't going for whatever reason they were playing on a different day um I'd often go to York City with school friends and sort of their families Right, um, and most of those friends also supported, say, uh, Liverpool or Leeds, as you'd expect in in York. Yeah. Um, but we'd all go together to what? Very few of them actually went to watch their own teams. You know, they they didn't go have season tickets or anything like that at, at Ellen Road or Anfield. So we would all go and watch York instead. Right. Uh, and it's actually the only step. Boven Crescent is the only stadium I can think of where I've watched a game from every stand, including the away end, <laughs> um, which I haven't done at Hillsborough, actually. Um, I, I haven't, I've never sat on the cop at Hillsborough, but um, for some reason, I don't know how I've missed that. I have to fix that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, including as, as so I've been at Boven Crescent as an away fan for, for Wednesday. But wow. York were a much bigger part of my life in terms of I had birthday parties at Boven Crescent. I didn't have them at Hillsbury, you know, I was too far yeah, yeah. away. So I had them at Boven Crescent. Uh, I first caught, you know, like catching a football in the crowd. I've only ever done that at Boven Crescent, not at Hillsborough, because wow. Hillsborough's too big. It just doesn't happen at Boven Crescent. It, that sort of stuff happened. Yeah. Um, and they were only the sort of, I, I went to holidays, you know, soccer camps at, at York College, um, you know, like, and, and all of the guests were always from York City and the prizes were, sort of signed by York City players and right, I, I, right. I've got signed one by John McCarthy who was like a real star of the early 90s York teams um, yeah. I made a trip I may I still remember making sort of a triple save in front of Dean Kiley who was the York goalkeeper oh. at the time because he was there to pick up his son and sort of those interactions with your local football club are things I didn't get uh by being a Wednesday fan because yeah. I didn't live in Sheffield you know that York was a very important part of, of my life and very sort of important part of sort of a different side of football yeah um and it was also a really exciting time to watch York City so they'd been uh, promoted to division two in 1993 they beat uh, crew in a playoff final yeah um, and that was the season they were wearing this this sort of blue away kit um and they had a, a quite a nice simple red home kit um i liked the blue because obviously i was a wednesday fan i, I prefer blue to red right, right. um so i liked that they had a, a blue away shirt so that's why this is my favorite nice favorite one um and in many ways there are again arguably more sort of interesting york city kits to to choose there's the famous y front ones course, yeah. uh, Ad admiral did some really interesting designs a few years after after this one that I'm talking about and the there was a sort of an infamous John Batchelor era sort of checkered flag arm where he he was starting a racing company okay. uh, John Batchelor of the Batchelor's Cup of Soups <laughs> briefly owned York City and it was 
chaotic and sort of York City's uh, trajectory has been very similar to Sheffield Wednesday's actually they sort of peaked in the early 90s and right. been downhill and sort of slightly chaotic ever since yeah. um, but to get back to this specific shirt it's, as I say it's the first one I got after moving to York from from Sheffield and it's um, uh, you know it's quite a nice I don't really know what you'd call it sort of a there's a sort of a chevron design in the in the background but yeah. it, it's sort of mostly blue um very simple port you know as you'd expect from the company like porter cabin a very simple uh, logo which which suits a porter cabin I, I think cabin, which is, yeah. is nice don't need anything too fancy no. um and it's very classic york city badge they've they've since changed their badge i i prefer this one is much more in keeping with the sort of the city's coat of arms i think um yeah. this badge and and as you say it was um it was made by cavendish sports who i really i i did i did a bit of research before coming on to this which is is always a good thing to do and I, I as far as i can tell they made accrington's shirts around the same time and also a blackpool shirt but um i can't see what else they made and a quick google suggests they just make general sort of team wear these days i right. i really don't know the story i was i was far too young to you know really know who who Cavendish were and I can't find much information about them now mm. so I think they were sort of a more general sportswear uh manufacturer but I just I, I really like this shirt you know it's got it's got a collar again I, as I say I quite like collars or it's a yeah. white collar and sort of button-up um collar as well um yeah. and it is it's quite a nice design but as I say I mostly liked it because it was their blue away kit and I didn't want to wear red at that point <laughs> um, so you know I, I have sort of got over that now um <clears throat> but they also you know as I say this was a very exciting time to 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 watch York they they were in um in Division Two, they'd uh got really exciting players John McCarthy and of course Paul, Paul Barnes was sort of the the top scorer and the hero of Boven Crescent, right. uh, Dean Dean Kiley, who went on to 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 sort of bigger things with Charlton, yeah, 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 and some others. Um, a few years later, they beat they famously beat Manchester United in the in the League Cup. Course, they beat yeah. them three three nil at Old Trafford, wearing uh, another blue away shirt actually, although slightly different. I I prefer this one, right? This right. sort of ninety two ninety three one, but they. Yeah, blue is quite a common away shirt for for York. Um, and then the following season, they beat Everton again in in the League Cup. So, wow, a couple of really big moments. And as I say, it just kind of represents a different kind of going to football for me. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. A, a a much more sort of social thing with friends and and families and their families and my my own family rather than just me and my dad going sort of solo to Hillsborough um, every week, which which I loved, but it is sort of yeah, it's, it's nice to have different experiences. Definitely, yeah. And York remain very important to me. Although I'm not, I'm not particularly pleased that they've left Uven Crescent. I'll, I'll miss that a lot. Yeah, different experience altogether. So, Tom, for your, for your third and final choice, we're moving out of English football and we're, we're going across to the other side of the world. We're going to 1996. This is a Gamba Osaka home shirt by Adidas. Tell me more. Yeah, so... Um, when I, I, I don't, I'm sure I'm not the only person who does this, but when I go on holiday, I, I always like to pick a local team that I yeah. then sort of follow. I feel like I've got a connection to. So when I was sort of a teenager, I went to Athens um, and I picked up a Panathinaikos shirt because I got it. It's actually a fake shirt, it turns out, but um, right. <laughs> a fake Panathinaikos one. But um, I didn't like the red and white of Olympiakos. Yeah. So in my mind, I now 
sort of follow Panathinaikos would be my team in Athens, sort of just because of that nebulous link to them. Um, So I went to Japan in um, January 2020, just before it was sort of the last trip before the global pandemic took hold properly. Right. and we went to my my partner and I went to we went to Tokyo and Kyoto and Osaka. Um, and I remembered sort of in the back of my mind a, a sort of a, an article that had been written by Adam Hurry, who football cliches fame on Twitter, uh, for shortlist uh, a few years ago, quite a few years ago now. I think it was written. Um, it was about a shop called Vintage Sports Football. Um, I follow them which, on Instagram. They're fantastic, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and they sell obviously classic shirts from around the world, but it's a good place to get. Um, sort of j-league shirts as well yeah. um, and i checked and it was nearby where we were in osaka so i sort of dragged my girlfriend along and she uh she ended up with a san frecce hiroshima shirt um, nice. <laughs> nearly not really nice one but i sort of we were in osaka at the time so i sort of uh, and sorry if i get the pronunciation of this wrong but i sort of faced a choice between uh Chirezzo osaka i think right. it's Chirezzo because i think it's an italian word um, yeah. or Gamba Osaka and as I've mentioned sort of Gamba are, are the blue and Chirezzo are, are wear pink but I yeah. tend to go for the blue team in a in a, um, in a city or in a, in a rivalry okay. um, and I just couldn't resist I saw this shirt on on display and I just couldn't resist it because it, it's sort of a 1996 Adidas kit mm-hmm. um, with sort of black and yellow lightning bolts coming down from the shoulders into yeah. the center of the chest and there's an illustrated sort of um, Zeus kind of i'm not sure it's quite anime but sort of that style of sort of illustration yeah, yeah. um uh, sort of holding a lightning bolt with his foot on the football and that that seems to have been gamba's gamba's badge early on in the in the j league although again they've since changed it right um so i'm definitely not an expert on japanese football but um sort of the j league was founded in 1992 with uh, professional clubs before that um the the leagues were amateur um, and there are just some wonderful shirts from yeah. the sort of the early years of uh, of the J League. Like uh, Verdi Kawasaki um, had like this amazing green sunburst one, yeah. um, which is 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 worth a look as well. But this this one was on sale, and um, I, I just uh, immediately was drawn to it because the blue side of a rivalry. And yeah. um, Gamba now are probably one of the the bigger clubs in in the J League. Um, they've won the AFC, the, the Champions League uh, in 2008. Oh, wow. uh, they've won, I think they've won the title twice and they've won a few cups, but they really weren't a force early on. So they only finished 12th out of 16 in, in this season. Yeah. Um, but that kind of doesn't matter to me. Isn't, you know, you know, I'm not choosing one to follow the most successful team. I'm choosing one that's got, I've got a connection with. And yeah. this is also the, the shirt, the version I've got that I managed to buy was is a long sleeve shirt, which is very rare. I don't, I don't think I own any other long sleeved football shirts. So sort of a bit different, but it just, it's so striking um, as a design. You yeah, know, it's got, it's got a very simple Panasonic uh, sponsorship, not, not too different from Porter Cabin on New York shirt. <laughs> um, and it's got a sort of the, just the, the word Adidas, it, no, no logo, but the word Adidas just under the, um, under the collar. Um, I just, I just was immediately drawn to it, you know, on, on a rack of hundreds of football shirts. It really stood out to me. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, the, I guess Gamba Osaka are now the, the 
Japanese club that I would, in my mind, I would follow. Um, if, if I was ever asked which Japanese football club I, I supported, it would be Gamba. And it, it helped that the guy behind the counter was a Gamba fan as well. So we had a, we had a sort of long, very broken English chat um, uh, about about Gamba Osaka and, and sort of how much he loved them, which was a lot. Um, he was a really <laughs> nice guy. Um, unfortunately, I think their, their shop in Osaka, I was having a look and it seems to have closed down. Oh, you're kidding. But they do have three shops in Tokyo by the looks of it. So if, if you oh, are yeah. ever in Tokyo, it is worth it because it's not, you know, obviously um, they have shirts from around the world, but you can, you can probably pick up, you know, like European club shirts wherever you wherever you are in, the, in this country or around yeah. Europe, that's that's fine. But they're real. The joy for me is, is sort of the, the early J-League shirts. And for some people, I'm sure they're, they're gruesome designs that uh, they're really not to people's tastes. People who want really clean, classic shirts, yeah, it's yeah. not it's not for you. Like, they are a bit mad, but, but I really like them. I, at least it's something a bit different and you really stand out. I love it. Yeah, so so that's that's where that one came from. <laughs> Nice, I love it. I one day hopefully get to go there as well. I do yeah, follow yeah. I, I warn you, you know, it can really hurt your credit card when you <laughs> when you go there because you just want you just want one of everything. Really, yeah. it is one of those places, um, and because you're in a, you know, you, you're excited and you're on holiday, you think, yeah, just one more, one more football shirt. How can it help? How, how can yeah. it hurt? Just ignore <laughs> the conversion rate, and you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, how much can, how much can it be? Just put it on the credit card, and yeah. you get back and realise. But it's too late by then. You can't take it back. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Tom, that's three absolutely amazing choices. Thank you so much. Um, so obviously subscribe to the magazine, keep the magazine going. Um, also look out for kind of the podcast and also future live events too. Yep, definitely. So um, you can just everything is at wsc.co.uk or you can follow us on uh, Twitter or Instagram uh, at WSC magazine. Um, and yeah just just keep up to date we've got we've always got sort of new projects uh coming along so so yeah if you if you want a bit of sort of alternative football writing and a bit of a slow down on the sort of constant rolling news yeah. and read about sort of a variety of, of football then then hopefully we're the magazine for you lovely stuff tom well look, thanks so much for your time mate. i really enjoyed that no problem thanks for having me on So there you have it. Massive thanks to Tom for sharing his football kit memories with me. You can follow me and my own collection on Instagram or get in touch via Twitter or email. Make sure you follow when Saturday comes and all the socials as well as subscribe to their podcast, which is great. The music you heard was produced by Evil Ed. You can check that out on his Bandcamp. There's links to absolutely everything I mentioned in the notes section too. And finally, thanks to you for listening. If you have enjoyed it, please do spread the word, give me a follow on social and subscribe to Football Kit Memories on your podcast player of choice. Other than that, I'll catch you next time.